right, well, why don't we go ahead and get started? If you have your workbooks, um, we're going to pick up in chapter 9, uh, which begins on page 65, but we're going to pick it up around page 67 and start on fellowship. I'm just going to give a brief recap of some of the things that we talked about last week, and, uh, and we have one more week. So we're going to do the second part today of fellowship and worship, and then the first part of spiritual gifts. We've got two weeks for that because it really requires that, okay? All right. Oh, Eric, I need the uh, remote. Thank you. While I'm walking up here, let me go and pray for us. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you for your wondrous and beautiful design for your church, which reflects the nature of Christ himself. As your word says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Help us as your people to surrender to that design individually and corporately. Father, May we, as Ephesians 4 says, that we would grow up until the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How exciting is that? So as we prayed last week, we continue to pray that you would give us a vision of Christ, both for um, us today individually and for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm having some difficulty here. I uh, noticed blood on my... I have a little cut here, so here we go. All right, let me go back. So our key memory verse for the, for the chapter on fellowship and worship, I don't think we're working here, guys. If you would turn to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's the day of Christ's return. So uh, we, we spoke in quite a bit of detail uh, last week uh, about um, what does it mean for us to stimulate one another to love and good works. And Glenda, as you and I were talking this, this morning, that first of all requires us to be together. And not just on Sunday morning, as important as, as that is, uh, but also to be interacting with each other throughout the week. Can I just ask you guys to, to forward the slides since this isn't working? Thanks. And if you can get one of these working, that would be great. All right. And, uh, and secondly, I think it requires us to have very direct and transparent conversations with one another. I appreciated the conversation that we had, a couple of us had afterwards. What does that mean? Uh, and we talked a little bit about what it means to be willing to reprove one another in love. No. Was that me or was that you? 
Okay, I think that's me. I think we're good now. I think so, yeah. Maybe not. No, it's not working. Um, you know, it says in Proverbs 27 that uh, it says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And so uh, one of the ways that we do express love to each other is through reproof and correction. But not just that. When we think about the four things that the scriptures do in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? So we see those four things. Thanks, Caleb. We'll give that a shot. No, I don't think so. Let's see. All right, I think we're back. Thanks for bearing with us this morning. So when it says in, in, um, in Colossians uh, 3 that um, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another. Um, uh, and so that's how we do it, right? We teach and admonish one another. I'm really sorry to interrupt. Could, does somebody have a Band-Aid? I seem to have cut myself here. Um, a little one is just fine. And uh, this is going to look great on the video. I'm just wandering around here, and I just, I don't know how this happened. Thank you, Eric. This is, this is the body ministering to one another. We're, we're having a little bit of an illustration here. You like how I did that? How uh, we got provided an illustration for us today. Um, as we continue, uh, we want to really have the right vision of what the church is. Right? And so a couple verses that we went through last week. And the church is primarily um, not an organization, but a living organism, right? We, we went through a couple of verses in 1 Peter 2. And coming to him as living stones, which have been, which as a living, to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Bear with me, guys. Appreciate that. And so that is, that is the church, right? The institution of the church. It's not this building, right? As important as this building is for us to meet. You do know that there are people all over the world meeting who don't have buildings who are still having church. It's wonderful, wonderful to think about. Uh, built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then our identity, right? But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but... Now you have received mercy. This is quoting from Exodus, and this is very present in my mind because we're going through this in our Ironman, the men's group. One of the things that's so interesting about that is we see um, in Exodus 19:4, right the verse right before this in the Old Testament, God said that you have seen what I have done to the Egyptians and how I have borne you on eagles' wings and I brought you 
to myself. So in an ultimate sense, they had already reached the destination because he himself was their primary destination. He had promised to provide for them, to bring them into the promised land. And it's just so interesting to me that they doubted that. They doubted God's promise, right? They were focused on the land. God here was focused on how they would live faithfully as his people in the land. Isn't that interesting? Does that sound familiar to us? We're more concerned maybe with our earthly provision than living the life that God has for us, how we demonstrate Christ in all of the challenges of life. That's our focus. That's how we are built up in him, right? In our character, both individually and as a body. The Universal Church, this was a quote, um, this is the quote from your workbook on page 65, and, and thank you, Tina, for having a good discussion with me last week. We have to kind of, I think, modify or correct this a little bit. Um, in the book, it says something that I think might be misunderstood, so we want to clarify that. It says, a church is not a physical building, but a group of believers, not a denomination, sect, or association, but a spiritual body. The church is not an organization, but a communion, a fellowship. It says that includes believers. We want to make sure that we understand if, if we understand the church correctly as a spiritual house, as we've just discussed, the true church is made up of believers. Now, as we assemble, we talked a little bit about the visible and the invisible church, and they overlap, right? The visible church is those who congregate, and we know from the scriptures there are sheep and goats, wheats and tares. We see those, those uh, analogies in the Gospels. So we, not, we know that not everyone in a gathered assembly is a believer, but to the extent that those who are, those are the true church. And sometimes we just won't know until the end, right? So, uh, but that also reminds us that the invisible church, if you will, those who are not seen in visible congregations are also very much the church as they meet and faith, faithfully live out the gospel in their lives. Um, so let's pray for them. A lot of them are under persecution and under duress right now. Uh, so I hope that you pray regularly for the church worldwide. And uh, just for a recommendation for that, some of you know the organization Voice of the Martyrs. Um, and um, it started by a man named Richard Wormbrand, who was tortured, I believe, in Romania, uh, wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, started that organization. There's an app you can get on your phone, uh, a Voice of the Martyrs, that will give you um, some believers to pray for in different countries every day. That's a great habit to be in. All right, this passage, I think, is probably the primary passage to look at. I I commit this to you to spend some time in that kind of succinctly gives us God's design for the church. We talked about it last week. I'm going to read it again. And he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's really that last part that we'll be talking about a lot today. How do we have the proper working of each individual part 
right? And as we get into spiritual gifts, we'll recognize that we're all needed in the body, right? If I'm not faithfully serving in the gifts that God's giving me, if you're not faithfully serving in the gifts that God's given you, the body suffers. But to the extent that you are, the body grows. So that's an interesting thing to think about, the proper working of each individual part. So here's what we're going to attempt to cover today. Uh, I had an outline last week as well. We didn't get through it, but I I think we'll get through this today. Uh, We're going to finish the last couple items of uh, fellowship and worship, which is chapter 9, and then we're going to get into the nature and provision of spiritual gifts in chapter 10. So let's talk about fellowship. What's really interesting to me is our fellowship uh, is with God and with other believers. Those things are connected. Let's never lose sight of that. First uh, John 1.7, a great thing to think about, a kind of a sobering verse, I think. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the things we talked about last week from Ephesians 4 is that unity with one another doesn't come from focusing on one another, but on the God who unifies So our fellowship with him as our father unites us. And so fellowship in the truest sense cannot happen corporately unless we are vertically having fellowship with God, right? It's a a spiritual impossibility, and that's the spiritual dynamic of fellowship. This is why if we harbor sin in our lives that's unconfessed, that maybe nobody knows about, it still has an effect on the body. It does, because of the spiritual unseen realities of fellowship. So if we are walking in the light, as he's in the light, then fellowship is possible. Then I can, I can encourage you and stimulate you into love and good works as I need to, as Glenda pointed out to us last week. I'm able to both receive and give your reproof from the word of God, because I'm already experiencing that daily in my fellowship with God. So there's a, there's a connection. So I hope you know that um, to have true fellowship, you and I don't have the resources within ourselves to do that, but we draw, it's a beautiful thing to think about, we draw on heavenly resources to minister to one another, right? We don't do that with our own abilities and our own strength. Praise the Lord, right? Our ability to forgive is impossible without the gospel, Right? I was talking to uh, uh, Jackson earlier this week about what does it take to forgive? How do you forgive someone who has offended you deeply, right? Unless you draw on the forgiveness of Christ and understand that no one can sin against you to the extent that you've sinned against God, right? Matthew 18 talks about this. Unless you draw on those truths, you're not able to forgive. And this is how fellowship works. We're constantly drawing on eternal resources, By this we know, we talked about this last week, that we love the children of God when we love God and do his commandments, right? And we talked about this last week. We love others best, I think it's on the slide, by putting him first, right? I don't know what your need is. You don't know what my need is, but God does. And if we follow his instructions and directions, it's going to work. It's going to work. So we put him first first. We love others best by putting Christ first. 
Ministering to other believers. I think this is, uh, we're in new territory here, right? Um, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, and this is a great segue into spiritual gifts, right? As each one has received a gift, in the New American Standard, it says a special gift or a spiritual gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Our gifts are not meant to impress one another, right? But to serve one another. Anybody here struggle with pride? It's constantly at the door, right? Yeah. You can you ask yourself, am I here to impress or to impact? That's a great thing to think about, right? Um, and you know when you serve, you run the risk of being treated like a servant. Are you following me? Right? Sometimes you're not going to be exalted or treated well or visible. Kind of like Jesus. Right? That's the road that he has for us. So let's be excited about how we take those gifts that God has given us to serve one another, right? Jesus talked about this in the Beatitudes, that if you do it to be seen by others, um, you've lost your reward. It's a little difficult for me to talk about because I'm seen right now, right, teaching, right? But I think the idea behind it is that we should be serving in all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways, right? Um, Speaking the oracles of God, right? We don't minister our own ideas, right? We minister what our Lord says. Or as, as the apostle said, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, right? With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We do it with his resources in his strength for his glory. So everything is from him, through him, and to him. Let's never forget that as we serve. There's a lot of people serving here at Calvary that I don't know about, praise the Lord, that aren't even making what we're doing here today possible. So I thank God. Thank God for them. All right. So worship. God seeks genuine worshipers. From the story of the woman at the well, right, where Jesus was explaining that the place isn't important. I think we've established that, haven't we? The physical place isn't as important as the spirit as important as the spiritual reality. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And in the sequence Jesus is talking with the woman of the well about, well, should we worship here or should we worship there, at this mountain or that mountain? What's the tradition? Jesus said that's ultimately not important, ultimately not important. It's really interesting to me. Um, anyone here come from a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox background? Yeah. So a lot of kind of ornate decorations and things like that, particularly in, in the Eastern Orthodox, I found. Um, I have a nephew who's an Eastern Orthodox priest, and so you can imagine he and I have some really interesting discussions. I, I love him greatly. His middle name is Mark, and um, we, uh, we're, we're very close. But um, I asked him about this. One of the things he said is that, well, we have these pictures, right, because they actually, you might know this, they kiss, well, you know, uh, 
Mike, uh, from your background, they, they kiss pictures of saints, things like that, right? And, and, and the whole idea, as he explained it to me, was because I just couldn't understand the appeal. It's like, well, this is the way that we experience Christ through these tangible things. And it just made me really sad because you're not. I think they really do obscure Christ and prevent us from worshiping him in spirit and truth. Before we get too critical of them or I get too critical of them, think about ways we might, might do that, right? We might be thinking more in an outward way than an inward way. For those of us here today, God knows your, your thoughts and your hearts right now. And I hope that both terrifies you and excites you because he's drawing close and we need to draw close to him. So that's an exciting thing. So let's worship him in spirit and truth, right? His word illumined by his spirit and for his glory. All right, let's continue in worship. We worship God because only he is worthy of our highest devotion. Only he is worthy of our highest devotion. Let me ask you a question. How would you define worship? What is worship? Honor and adoration, right? It's an exaltation of something, right? So when we, when we sit here and we do praise and worship on Sunday morning, we call that worship, but worship is a lot more than that. That's part of it, but it's a lot more than that. What else? Glenda. Okay, the preaching of the word rightly divided is worship. I agree. Why? Yeah, we want to worship in truth, not with our own notions, right? We always need to be measuring our lives against the plumb line of the word of God, right? We're all off in some way, yeah. And as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, like we do not preach ourselves but him, right? So by preaching his word, we're exalting him. We're making it very clear that we're not promoting our own ideas or thoughts, but his, that's worship, yeah. It's what we value the most, I think. Worship is what we value the most. One of the things that was really helpful to me that a brother was faithful to, to take me aside and explain to me is that the thing that you're anxious about might reveal what you worship. If I'm anxious about provision, maybe I'm worshiping provision, stuff, riches, right? Yeah. What, 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 gra- what, what captivates your mind and your thoughts? What do you delight in, right? Where does your mind go where it, when it goes no place else, right? That's, an, that's a, an expression of what we worship, what we center our lives around, right? Um, those of us who are married or who are dating, you know, when, you, when you're dating someone, particularly sometimes in those early days, you're, you're just always thinking about that person. You're revolving your schedule, everything around that person, right? Because you're growing in love for them. Well, how much more does that need to be for Christ, right? Revolving everything. I was reading earlier this week where Jesus said, I only do the things which are pleasing to him, right? Wow, would God give us that, that heart and that mindset? And, and by the way, that's the only thing that can really fulfill us. None of these other things can. Mike? And it just it goes to say that, of course, our worship is not limited to when we are ultimately Yeah. As the scripture says, pray without ceasing. It's really worship without ceasing. 
worship without ceasing. Yeah. Yeah. Each moment revolving our lives around what he wants. I, th- I love what it says in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. If we, um, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us keep in step by the Spirit. I think a good way to, to render that is if the Spirit has made you alive, then let him rule your life, right? What rules your thoughts and affections? Revelation 4, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. We will be worshiping forever, right? Um, And I, I can remember... In times past thinking, I really, I'm, I, uh, I'm a recovering perfectionist and everything's perfect in heaven and right where it needs to be, right? So that appeals to me. But does worship of him, that's, that's the main thing, does that appeal to me? And God grows me in that, right? It's not the, it's not the benefits of him, it's him. It's him that we're after, right? So that's, that's worship. And then, of course, worshiping God involves praise. Psalm 33 is a great praise psalm. I've probably quoted it here several times. Um, I really encourage you to, to meditate on it and even commit it to memory, right? Sing for joy, O Yahweh, O righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. And it just goes on to express what that looks like in specific instruments and specific attitudes and specific dependence upon him. Praise is becoming to the upright. Um, I think it's in Psalm 106, I was reading this morning, who can proclaim all the mighty deeds of the Lord or show forth all his praise, right? It's not possible. It's a constant thing that we grow in, right? His worth is beyond what we can express. So it takes all of us forever to do it. That's exciting. Psalm 100, I remember my third grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Childers, had us memorize Psalm 100. It's the first scripture that I memorized. I'd just come to Christ. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Right? This is not just what we do today. We get to kind of, ex- kind of expand on that because we're all together today, which is great. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. It says in verse five, and his loving kindness is forever, generation to generation. So he is worthy of our worship and praise. And then lastly, worshiping God involves reverence, right? Proverbs says uh, in several places, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now that sounds good and abstract, but there's really an affection to that, and there's a, what does it mean to fear the Lord, right? There's a sense in which we draw close, but that we're also kind of scared, right? I think of Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia. Um, He is not safe, right? God's not safe, but he is good, but he is good because he's holy, So this verse, I think, helps us with that. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom 
which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When we think about what Hebrews says about drawing close to the throne of grace, I think we have to understand what it took to make that possible. Right? The death of Christ. You didn't just approach casually. You think about the Old Testament and the Holy Holies. And if you, if you did it wrong, you died. Right? Opening day of the priesthood, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, decided that they would improvise. <sighs> Gone. Right? So God takes his worship and his name very seriously. So let's never lose sight of that. Lord, give us a growing fear of you. Amen. All right. Uh, the ordinances, we're going to briefly uh, go through this. There's two ordinances that God has given us for his church. Believer's baptism, right? Uh, we see that expressed in the Great Commission and in Romans 6, right? Um, baptism, I find it interesting when people say um, baptism by immersion, um, that's like saying swimming by going in water. It's a little bit redundant, right? That's what baptism is, just so we're clear, right? It, but it's, well, we'll get into this a little bit. Um, and then communion, the Lord's table, right? First uh, Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. It's kind of the most succinct instructions that we have for the Lord's table, which I think Pastor Bobby will be reading for us today. We have the Lord's table today, right? All right. Um, so those are the two ordinances that the Lord has given us very clearly in his word. I was very surprised to learn not that long ago that in Roman Catholicism, I think there's five or seven? Seven, thank you. And I thought, and I read it, and I thought, well, that's really creative because it's just not there in the Bible at all. So God is, praise the Lord, he's made it simple for us. We can remember two. These are so important. Uh, so the ordinances are outward expressions of spiritual realities which unify us as his body, right? We go back to that spirit and truth, right? Don't confuse these outward expressions with the spiritual realities. We do that to unite and remind ourselves of what these are, right? Uh, believer's baptism, therefore we've been buried with baptism through Christ into death, right? In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Right, that's Romans 6, 4. That is a spiritual reality that gets to be expressed in the physical reality of believers' water baptism, right? And then communion, well, let's just look real quick here, um, just briefly, I know we'll get, it, get to it later, but maybe this will help us to prepare a little more for the Lord's table today. 1 Corinthians 11. Just a couple highlights here that are really important. Starting in verse 17, I think you have some of the warnings. And, and, um, and, and, and look at what it says about our unity. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Now, when we went through, I gave a lesson or two, I think, on the Reformation well, it's probably going on a year ago now, or maybe earlier this year. You notice those two words, divisions and factions, right? One is sinful, one is not, right? The divisions, us not being unified in Christ, uh, schisma, I think, 
is the Greek word. Um, not good. That, that betrays the unity that you have in Christ. But factions, right, uh, I think is where we get the word heresy. Heresis? Someone who knows Greek, help me out here. I don't have my notes in front of me. Those distinctions between those who are faithful and those who are not, right, those who are false and those who are true, that's actually really important. So it actually says that that's good. There must be factions among you. We must be able to distinguish between who is true and who is false, what is true and what is false. Um, and so this is a sobering thing uh, going into uh, the Lord's Supper. And they were abusing it, right, in terms of how they were eating and not welcoming one another and leaving some deprived. Um, and then the main instruction starting in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was being betrayed took bread. And it just walks through the account of Jesus' last supper. I want to point out verse 27. This gets to the reverence aspect um, of what we're doing. Um, Whoever eats the, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but a man must test himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So the idea here is we, we're getting down to the spiritual realities, right? You, you know you can outwardly take communion but still have unconfessed sin in your heart. And I think this speaks to a warning about what that might look like. Some, some got sick and some died because of that. They, that, that. I think that could still happen, Right? But I think the great way to think about it is we want to, in reflecting on the Lord's atonement, that we want to confess and be cleansed from those things for which he died. Does that make sense? We don't want to be holding on to those things. We want to really understand, how could I do that if I understand what Christ has done? I want to confess that and make it right just as soon as possible. And so I think that's, that's where those instructions really help us. And they, and they can unify us as a body, right? The ordinances are outward expressions of spiritual realities which unify us as a body. All right. And then finally, we're going to get into some... Um, actually, we're going to get into this next. So spiritual gifts, finally. Before we get there, any questions uh, or comments on fellowship and worship? Yeah. That is a great point, Leela, about Judas being there at the Last Supper and how that illustrates what we just read. I never really thought about it that directly. That's wonderful. There was one there who would have taken in an unworthy manner and had to leave. Interesting. Yeah. So that's always going to be there. Uh, There may be times where you may have to just let it pass and just work some things out with the Lord. That's okay. That's healthy. I've had to do that. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Any other thoughts? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, we, all, we feel unworthy taking communion. Is that what you just said? So, so let me just say this. So the sense of our unworthiness is based in reality. That's true. We're unworthy. Yet, um, our worthiness comes from the atoning work of Christ, right? Who has made us a kingdom of, of priests, right? And a holy nation, right? So it's not self-worthiness. Um, I think of that phrase in that song, um, that Getty song, my worth is not in what I own. It's one phrase that really gets me. It says, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. Right, we get that? They're kind of both there at the same time. So um, what this is talking about is, is not our personal unworthiness, but taking the, the, the elements in an unworthy manner. Does that make sense? Which may, if, if so um, we can be um, sanctified, we can be justified in Christ, but not walking in the light, right? And so our worth is set in Christ at that point, but we still r- uh, run the risk of taking the Lord's table, taking the elements in an unworthy manner. Does that make sense? But there's, a, there's another option where the conviction may show us that we may not really know him. And we need to leave space for us to come to faith in Christ. I think there's probably at least one or two people in here for that, whom that's been the case. Right? Through that ordinance, recognize that they didn't really know him and came to faith. Does that make sense? Okay, great. All right, finally, spiritual gifts. Such a clear topic that the body of Christ has such clarity on, don't we? <laughs> There's a lot of confusion out there on spiritual gifts. So, by the Lord's grace, let's see if we can uh, go back to what the scriptures say on spiritual gifts. I hope you know that even in what we just studied, you know, I I said a few things about some other traditions, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, and all that, but we're not immune from our our own traditions, things that we bring that aren't right, and we constantly need to be looking at our hearts and our practices in light of the scriptures, right? Perhaps in no other area is this more important than the area of spiritual gifts. There's a lot of abuse out there today. The memory verse is, here it comes, wait for it, wait for it, there it is. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one, not for ourselves, but for the common good, right? You know, when I think about this, I think about when Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. You know, that's not just a mind game. It actually is better, right? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. When we're operating in his strength, in his gifts, right, there's an energy that comes with it in the, in the giving and not in the getting. It's just amazing. I just love that about God's design. Come on. There we go. Um, important verse that I think summarizes kind of the design a little bit of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So I thought we'd unpack this a little bit. What are these three words? What do they mean? 
That came out a little funky. Didn't look that like that on my computer. Okay. Gifts. Um, uh, the Greek word is charisma. These are inner abilities provided by the Holy Spirit for the building up, for the building up of believers, right? They come not from ourselves, but from him. These are gifts of the spirit. They are spiritual gifts. You, don't, you and I don't generate these. We don't train ourselves into these. These are things that God gives as he wills. Ministries. This is an expression or office of service, how it expresses itself, right? So an example is, if I have the gift of teaching, I'll do this from time to time. That's just how it's expressed, right? It can also be expressed in one-on-one discipleship in all kinds of ways, right? But it's how the gift is expressed. And then thirdly, effects. Uh, results energema, I think is how you say that in Greek. Results energized by God's grace. So it's really the... The scope of it, or the effect, right? So each one of us has a unique set of gifts, ministries, and effects that no one else has. And they are distributed as he wills. So one of the things I think about is we, we, we're really impressed with someone who has a large platform or a large audience, right? What is that from God's perspective? Right? The evangelist who you've never heard of, who has led hundreds of people to Christ, is just as valuable, just as much expressing his gift as someone who's led thousands or millions to Christ. Right? It's how God blesses it as he will. Right? And we stumble over that, don't we? Because, again, we want people to be impressed with us. Right? Um, And this is where that vertical relationship with him, operating with him, getting our satisfaction and pleasure in him is so important. God, that you would even use me in some way is just amazing, right? In the Psalms it says, I would would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. Just to have some small little part in this is amazing. The fact that we even get to know him, much less serve him and do anything for him, can we just be blown away by that and, and, and just leave the scope to him? I remember at one of the Shepherds Conferences I went to, John MacArthur said this, talking about kind of the background of, of Grace Community Church. He said, I, I recognized that God put on my heart that if I focused on the depth of the ministry and just leave the breadth to him. Now, the breadth is pretty big, right? So maybe it's easy to say, but that's really his heart, you know? And as I've, as, you know, as I've um, interacted with people who've come out of that seminary, we have a couple of them here, right? Their focus is being faithful, not being big. It's so important, so important. So that's something for us to think about as we think about gifts. So to each one, right, we read that, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. And God is appointing the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, right? We're going to get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. So the source is the Holy Spirit, God himself. Again, the source is not us. One of the things I like to think about is... Uh, it's kind of like if you look at um, the fruit of the Spirit, or when Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, 
And it talks about, unless you, unless you abide in me, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And notice that it's a word bear, not produce. You get this, right? We don't produce fruit. We bear it as he produces it in us. Same with spiritual gifts. We don't produce these things. We don't produce these things. One thing that's really interesting here is that I kind of look at this kind of like our spiritual DNA, right? Um, we all have physical and temperamental attributes that are kind of fixed, right? Some we like, some we don't like, right? But that's God's doing, right? Similar with spiritual gifts, right? You cannot train yourself into another spiritual gift, just so we're clear, right? Um, but you can cultivate and grow that. And Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was given to you, right? So we can grow it, but we can't create new gifts. Or as I heard one pastor say to a guy who has a 55-mile-an-hour fastball and wants to be a major league pitcher, it's not a matter of training, right? And he just doesn't have it. And sometimes we just have to acknowledge that, gifts that we have, abilities that we have, and that we don't. The destination. As each one has received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We talked about that before. It's from him toward one another, right? The destination of our gifts is all true believers as we minister our gifts to one another. And then the purpose. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification or the building up, the building up of the church, not yourself, the church. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. So the purpose is building up to God's glory. Right? We go back to those verses in Ephesians, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You get that, right? I'm just really praying that God captivates our hearts in new ways and specific ways with a vision for him for the church, right? Um, yeah. To a mature man, right, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Beautiful. Let's never lose sight of that goal, that vision, that vision. May God increase our faith for that vision. So, provision of spiritual gifts, uh, there are three primary passages, uh, actually two primary passages, I'll go with three, three primary passages on spiritual gifts. Romans 12 has the first list, 1 Corinthians 12 has the second list, and these are in your, your workbook. And then Ephesians 4 tells us a little bit more, as we've read, about the unity and the operation of those gifts, how they are to be used. So with the time we have left, let's go, let's go through these. And we can spend a little bit more time next week, I think, defining them because I think there are various and sometimes contradictory definitions of what these gifts are. Um, so let's, let's get into it. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Let me just read that. But having gifts that differ according to the grace 
given to us, whether prophecy, you see that up there, in agreement with faith, or service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts with his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's a wonderful list, right? Not only lists the gifts, but gives a little sense of how they are to be used, right? So that's your first list of seven. The next list, and there's a little bit of overlap here. Uh, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And by the way, let me just point out something. Um, a little bit earlier in Romans 12. Don't leave Romans 12 yet. Look at verses 1 through 3. This is kind of a, sets the, the stage for spiritual gifts. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what is the will of God, that which is good and, ex- and pleasing and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. This is what we were talking about before, this guarding against pride. Do not be conformed to the world, right? The world's mode of leadership and gifting and all that, completely different, self-centered, self-exalting, right? Which is why Paul gives the exhortation, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's what the world does. Or as Jesus said in another context, it shall not be this way among you. Yep, the leaders of the world promote themselves. No, no, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to someone else faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to someone else various kinds of tongues. Just to be clear, we're going to get into this more next week, tongues means languages, right? I think we, this is kind of a spillover from the older translations, a better translation is languages. Tongues are nothing but Languages, which means they're coherent. That's important. We'll get back to that. And to another translation or interpretation of tongues, right? So, what about these lists do you notice? I'll go, I'll go back and look at them again. We'll, we'll just stick with this past one, right? Do we see all of these in operation here today? No, we do not, and there's a reason for that, which we'll get into. We'll touch on it today. We'll get into it a little more next week. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, last part of the verse. uh, Miracles, gifts of healings. There we go. 
helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Again, it means languages, languages. So you see there's a wide variety of gifts, right? And I'll say all of which are or were necessary, right? Certainly were all necessary at the time that this was written. All right. Um, so let's talk. Let's have a few, uh, a bit of discussion here. This is a bit of. This is kind of covering both of our chapters today. Are you sure that you are a member of the body of Christ? How do you How do you know? How would you answer that question? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Glenda, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Lila. Yeah. Go ahead, Glenda. Yeah. Your place in that body. We talked about that last week, right? He has called us, right? He has baptized us into the body. It's his doing. Amen. Leela, you remember? Okay. Yes, um, Romans 8, I was just, praise the Lord, I was just turning there, right? Romans 8, 15 and 16, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's his doing, right? Right? And we, and, 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 and we are relying on the finished work of Christ. We know that. I remember asking um, a professing, believing friend, because he was saying some things that were kind of strange to me, and I, I asked that very question, how do you know that you're saved? Because I accepted Christ, because I did this, because, and, and there was like, so much I in it. It was, like, it was like the opposite of your answer, Glenda. I was horrified. Like, I don't know if this person's saved. It's all about what they did, not what, about Christ, what Christ did for them. So... We camp on that, right? And it's spiritual, right? This, the, we know in our spirits that we are the children of God, right? I remember when I first came to Christ, things bothered me that didn't bother my friends. I had this heightened sensitivity to, to sin. Things that appealed to my friends did not appeal to me. And, and I felt strange, because as a kid, you experienced peer pressure, and I thought there's something wrong with me. I didn't realize there was something right with me that God, and God was doing. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, as such, how can you better submit to him as Lord? What are some thoughts on that? How can you better submit to him as Lord? Remember we talked last week about he is the head, we are the body, right? As each one does its own individual part, submitting to his guidance. So what are, what are some thoughts that you, you have on that? Mike. Knowing him. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the things he did for me, which is how I would know, is that 
You never wanted to read the Bible. Yeah, yeah. pleases him. And how do we help others know him if we don't know him? We talked about this in our men's group, right? Jeremiah 9. You know, let, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the rich man boast of his riches, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, right? But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know me. Yeah. Is that what we think about all the time? Back to worship, right? How, Lord, how can I know you better? How can I become more like you? Yeah. Yeah. And then just think about every decision that we make, right? Is it, um, is it submitted to him? Am I asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? How is your spirit guiding me? Or am I going rogue, right? We kind of all go rogue. Jody. Yeah. Yeah, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah, so walking in obedience to his commandments um, and, and never trumping the word. Our feelings can never trump the word. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. What this means is you have to fight your feelings sometimes. I am amazed at how, how my feelings at times have been completely the opposite of reality, and I need to trust if you're a pilot, I wish Craig was here, he knows about spatial disorientation, which means that you are flying and your feelings are the opposite of reality and you need to trust your instruments and not your feelings or you will die. I think there's a spiritual analogy there, right? Yeah, amen. How, as such, how are you serving his people? How are you serving his people? I'm just gonna fly through these because we're about out of time. And, and, and let's be thinking about that even more next week. Go through that list. Um, how many here, I don't want to put you on the spot, if you're comfortable, um, feel like you really, have, you really know what your spiritual gift or gifts are? You really study this and you have a good sense of it, right? Um, if you've gone through the membership, that should really help you. There's an assessment there that was really, really healthy, right? And then we walk by faith in them. I had to be convinced that I had some spiritual gifts. Like, and, and, and I had a faithful pastor just put me to, to work right away. Like, I'm like, I don't think I can do this, you know. But he saw it and cultivated it, and, and, and lo and behold, there it was. So we need that kind of help from each other, yeah. Um, yeah. Some are gifted immediately, obviously, yeah, yeah. 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 To know your gifts. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I had to be told what a couple of my gifts were by, by, by faithful pastors. And, 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 and one reason, in one sense, I, I was challenged here because it's like, well, if that's true, then I need to do something, and I'm not sure I'm really willing to do that, right? So it challenged me in that way. I did want to say something quickly to your comment, Jody, about not trusting in our feelings, but trusting in the Word. Um, it reminded me of something that I learned about um, Chuck Smith. You don't know who he, who he was. He was um, a, pa- a founding pastor of Calvary Chapel. If you saw Jesus Revolution, Kelsey Grammer played him in the movie. Um, I wish they had put this in the movie, because I, I know this about him, that... Um, he said this, and, and this, this is one of the things that really changed him profoundly. He said, I was trying to do the work of the Spirit in the power of the flesh. Right? And he was convicted of that. He also wasn't preaching expositorily. Some might say he never got there. I'll just leave that one alone. But I, but I think he, he, to, to, to a large extent he did. I, th- I think a lot of his teaching was really, I found personally helpful. But it's when he became convinced of that and started preaching through the Bible that things happened. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Uh, lastly, um, Ephesians 4.16, right? The proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I want you to think about this week, what is the proper working of your individual part in the body of Christ? Would you do that? Please do that. Um, no time for Q&A. We already did that couple resources, right? So next week, we're going to get into temporary versus permanent gifts. Um, this is a real positive thing, actually. It gets a lot of negative press, I think. Um, and then the proper exercise of spiritual gifts. If you haven't teed up the audio, and it's, uh, th- this link is also in, in your notes, um, tee up John MacArthur's sermon on spiritual gifts. It is probably the clearest teaching I've ever heard on how we distinguish uh, temporary from permanent gifts really helpful. So please listen to that this week if you haven't already. And uh, some of you have seen the movie Cessationist. Uh, that's, I think, a must-watch as well. Uh, if you get a chance to watch that, it's online. That's a, that would be really helpful for next week as well. All right? With that, let me pray. Father, I just, I'm just amazed um, at your perfect design for the church and how it's expressed even this morning in, in our back and forth, our Q&A and the things that you've put on people's hearts, the ways people are serving um, selflessly, um, humbly, um, really, as your word says, counting others more important than themselves. I'm, I just praise you for those examples here of people who do that. Help us. Help me to be more like that, Father. Help us to be in step with your spirit and confident, not in self, but in your marvelous work to your glory. Give us a wonderful rest of the Sunday worship, hearing your word, uh, sitting at the Lord's table. Um, Transform us in ways we could never imagine, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.